Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning and welcome to Military Network Radio. We're really glad that you have joined us. We are going to talk today about a topic that I think we think about, but we do not talk about sufficiently. And that is the mental health challenges and the challenges in general of military spouses. Not the one that raised your hand and took the oath, but you live with an awful lot of restrictions, opportunities, and stresses. And so I'm here today with co-host Jasambra Kimes, a veteran herself and a caregiver of her wounded warrior husband. And we're going to talk today about the challenges of positive mental health, the reality of daily military life, and how connection and depression and suicide prevention and anxiety is more than a veteran problem. It's military family concern. Jasambra, you are both. What is your take on that initially? I am, and good morning, Linda. Good morning. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's so troubling sometimes when you think about all of the issues that a military spouse may end up dealing with, and that may is like a huge bubble because, mm-hmm. We all know that we've all dealt with with some things and some concerns. And, you know, there's there's a stigma that's there for the military spouses. You know, like you have to kind of keep it all together. You have to, you know, be strong. And, you know, how do you find help? You know? And I think that's a great point because that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today with our guest because you, you are meant to be quiet and stoic and and manage everything be the commander-in-chief at home and yet there there are resources but they are far fewer than there are for the veteran and then we also will talk further on in this program about how positive mental health what are the resources there how peers can help you but they can also help drag you down there are a lot of is that true would you agree with that statement I, I would agree with that. I mean, you're, you're right. There are a lot of groups and there's a lot of peers that you can connect with and they can be uplifting and it can be powerful. However, it's finding those right ones because when they're, when people are dealing with things, you know, they say, you know, like how people who are in pain, you know, they, they dish out pain, they'll kind of give it out, you know? Mm-hmm. So trying to find the right positive resources in circles it's it's always not as easy as you might as you might think well and i think that social media has added another aspect to this 
which is both good in terms of connection and poor in terms of the quality of that connection and how quickly it can spiral downhill when something mm -hmm. is misunderstood. So I would love to introduce our guest today. We give a big shout out to Lisa Colella. She's the director of Healing Household Six, an organization that works with military spouses in several really critical areas. And we're going to be talking today very candidly about the challenges military spouses and partners, and the military culture, how it feeds into some negative societal, and what we can do to help. So, Lisa, welcome to Military Network Radio. Thank you. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. So, <laughs> you, you heard us say, you know, military spouses don't raise their hands to take the oath, but they have challenges. And let's just place those right out on the table in this first segment. What are they? Well, I think the first challenge is that just our roles in general nowadays are changing. And so military spouses aren't just spouses that stay at home and take care of the children and tend to the house. They're out in the workforce. They're doing volunteering with commands. And those are, are placing larger burdens on them along with the heavy deployment schedules. Um, secondly, we all know that military spouses suffer from isolation. They're mm -hmm. moving more than they ever have. They're piecing to new locations. Those are very difficult situations, managing children, managing new work, managing the deployments that are happening with those moves. And so those are the big ones that we see military spouses coming forward with is how do I manage all of these new lifestyle changes while I'm also isolated from friends and family? really an excellent point because you're talking about being isolated yet handling all these things. In many cases, mm -hmm. you're parenting for both parents. Um, you may be caregiving like Tassambra is. You yes. may be dealing with special needs children as well. And where's the time for you? How do you carve out the time for you to find the resources that can help? Absolutely. And the other problem that we see a lot with the military is that when spouses do get to those new duty stations, the service members' mm -hmm. training is very high tempo. Mm -hmm. And so they don't always have the resources to connect to who's kind of in charge for those family services. And so they're missing them. And social media certainly does help. But as you said earlier, you might not be getting the best advice during that. So we always try right. to suggest that you reach out to people such as your chaplain or your family readiness advisor and try to build relationships with them because they're going to be the ones that direct you to all of these concerns, whether it's caregiving, receiving mental health treatments, putting your children through the Exceptional Family Member Program. That's where the connections really come in. And as a new spouse, if most of them are you know, under 25 years old, they not be, may not be aware that that's what they need to do to take that first step. You bring up a right. huge point, though. Where's the education or the what I'll call onboarding, what we're using now for bringing veterans into civilian positions? But isn't it much the same thing? You need to onboard military spouses and partners. Is that happening in a coordinated fashion? I have not seen that happen in a very long time. I will say back in 2001, 2002, 2003, when our initiatives overseas were really in full gear, those things were happening. There were key volunteers in all of the branches. That is no longer 
Um, so those people that were responsible for introducing themselves to the spouse and saying, this is who you need to contact for these specific situations, those things aren't happening any longer. And they are being left to a family readiness advisor in most of the branches to make those initial contacts. The other dynamic that has changed within our service members' lives is that in, in, in recent years, they are allowed to say who is their family member, which is wonderful. But that leaves a lot of people not filling that blank in, where in previous years, you automatically had to include your spouse as your family member. There wasn't an option for that. So once they were established in DEERS, that information was all given to the command and whatnot. That is no longer the case. So we see a lot of spouses that are being left out because their husbands haven't put them down. They just haven't done it because their deployment schedules are so rigid right now. Right. And then not sharing that information, it just gets lost. You know, when you first mentioned isolation, Lisa, my first thought was, oh my gosh, yes, because you're trying to build trust. We have these spouses. It's hard to open up. It's hard to share. It's hard to even know, you know, who to to go to because there's that trust factor, trusting someone with your kids, especially if they're you know, um, an EFMP member, if you're, they're enrolled in that, you know, trusting with your, your own personal issues and concerns. How do we overcome that? How do we battle that issue? I think that topic is also difficult because just the dynamics of how we interact socially have changed over the years. And there are not places that where military spouses are getting together physically any longer. They are private support groups and private chat groups and things of that nature which make it really hard to be vulnerable because you're putting your life onto a screen and anyone can take a picture of that and share it. Mm, and so right. I think the key to those, to, to just lessen the blow from those things is to get out and make friends in real time, in real life and have those discussions over coffee or during play dates or things of that nature and really bring it back to being involved on a personal level so that you can have the opportunity to be vulnerable with the people that you meet. You know, it's it's important that you mention that because I think that the reliance on social media and online, quote, friendships and advice and guidance, etc., is very high, but it's also very impersonal. And so vulnerability, you mentioned, and the trust that Tassambra mentioned, they're almost mutually exclusive for some people, especially if you've been burned. Would mm, you say yes. that people are... Uh, slow to trust um, or too fast to trust or a variety of the above. I know each person's different, but, you know, that's a very important factor because those kinds of friendships burned publicly are really hard to internalize or not internalize. I personally feel that people are too quick to trust, especially on mm -hmm. social media. Um, I see, and, and you and I are also in a lot of these groups with caregivers and whatnot, and we see really right. bad information given. Mm -hmm. And I think that women are in this really awful place that they want that answer that they want. And so they're going to take that first answer that they think is what it is, and they're going to run with that, even if it's completely wrong. And not only is that dangerous for the caregiver but or the military spouse, but it's also dangerous for the veteran or service member, because then they're relying on inaccurate information that could be detrimental to their health. Absolutely right. We're coming up on a quick break, but 
we're, we're talking about the fact that misinformation is often passed and it passes faster, especially if it's something people want to hear or wish to hear than the actual facts. And I think we have a dearth of resources that can actually give accurate information. And, and I don't think we have the answers on how to fix that, but we will talk further about about command, about personal and private lives, and the challenges of military spouses and partners. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We're visiting with Lisa Colella today, and we'll be back after these messages. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Everyone knows you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. But who wants to catch a fly? Flies are squick and repulsive. Flies have two wings, while all other insects have four. And they beat their wings 200 times per second. That's faster than a hummingbird. Flies jump up and backwards when taking off with an average speed of 5 miles per hour. What's the word for that annoying buzzing sound flies make? Fretinancy. Pestologists tell us that flies' favorite color is red. Flies have kinesophobia. That's the fear of movement. So simply hang a plastic bag filled with water to keep the flies away. My only question would be, would a fly without wings be called a walk? It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Lisa, we are talking a lot about the fact that there is isolation, there is perhaps misinformation. Do you feel that, um, you mentioned command doesn't always know who the spouse is, or you know, the, there isn't a great deal of coordination with all units. Um, are they responsive, though? When someone raises their hand, this is an in-general question. Obviously, there are individuals 
who, who fall outside the norm. But what is the norm in terms of command taking family members into consideration for the good of the readiness? I think that that answer is going to depend on the different branches that mm-hmm. that are in the military. We see a lot of family care and cohesion for the for the Navy, for the Army, and for the Air Force. Okay. The Marine Corps seems to be working very hard to catch up with that. Um, their mission readiness is just a little bit different than the rest of the branches, so we think that that's why there's some lag. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the National Guard is the big the biggest yes. one. Um, mm-hmm. They just don't have the ability to keep track of those spouses and they don't have the resources to help the spouses once they come to them because it is such a part-time kind of job in some cases. They don't really know how to handle that active duty portion when that happens. So I think that that majority, they try their best, mm-hmm. but they don't always have the ability to reach out to those families. You know, it's funny. I know of a unit where, um, one of the former caregivers who is no longer with her husband, she's actually heading up one of those groups and she is so well prepared and educated to be able to provide exactly what people need before they even need it. But that's rare. And garden reserve families have in the last 15, 16 years borne a lot of the weight of the deployments and the op tempo. And, and yet, as you said, not getting a lot of the communication uh, that is necessary to help fill the gaps. As you go through the days and you're helping a lot of families, are you finding that the issues are more isolation or is it that they're exhausted, weary, and have not been able to find resources to help them personally? I personally feel that they're exhausted and weary. The spouses that I come into contact, whether I'm at Camp Lejeune or at um, Pendleton, seem to be tired. And the reason that I say this is because we see a lot of spouses that have sleep disturbances or they're being treated for some type of sleep disturbance or pattern, insomnia or something of that nature. And that tells me that they're just not able to catch a break. They're not able to, to stop thinking about all of the demands that have been placed on them. And the reason that that one is concerning for me is because we know that in recent years, sleep disturbances are one of the highest correlations for suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. And so when these spouses are overwhelmed and, of course, isolated, but don't have any help, don't have any way to meet all the demands of the work mom, of the home mom, of the deployed parent, they are the ones that are suffering from this exhaustion and sleep deprivation which I believe is contributing to a lot of the depression that we see. Do you, do you see any, I, I keep thinking, because I'm, I'm a caregiver and on top of um, being sleep deprived, I've dealt with that, but my issues or my lack of sleep comes with monitoring my husband. You know, is he still breathing? <laughs> you know, is, is he okay after this fall in the middle of the night? Um, but do you see spouses trying anything on their own to help resolve the, the sleep issue, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation, or whether it's, you know, any, any type of form of, of self-care that they can do? Do you see anything like that, or do you recommend anything for them during the time where they're trying to find the help that they truly need? We mostly see bad habits with those types of things. Not so much in the caregiver community, 
those right. caregivers tend to deal a little bit better. They're older. They've moved back to areas where there's support in some cases. So that that looks a little bit different. In the active duty community, most of those spouses are very young. And so we see them relying on bad habits, whether it's alcohol abuse, drug abuse, things of that nature. And so that one is a really difficult one. What we always suggest, and, and it's hard to get people I'm sorry, Lisa, you cut out. Oh, is she back? I don't believe so. Can you hear me? Now we oh, can. There she is. We lost her oh, for I'm a moment so sorry. there. We okay. were by the Air Force Base, so um, I think that they have a hard time accepting that they need help with that, that they think it's not a big deal. It's just I'm stressed or I'm depressed or I'm lonely, but it is so much more than that. And even if it's just a, a quick conversation with your regular PCM, mm -hmm. you really need to have someone to talk to about this because there are so many different factors in what is causing sleep disturbance. Certainly yoga, certainly taking a walk, certainly taking a long bath if you have the ability to, those kinds of things that will relax you so that you may be able to get some sleep. But we do see a lot of alcohol dependency in military spouses for those reasons. It makes perfect sense. I mean, you're isolated. You grab the easiest thing there is to grab. And right. and then you spiral downward because, of course, alcohol is a depressant, too. And when you're looking at the, the stigma of someone who doesn't want to appear weak, um, wants families, etc., the isolation makes it very, very difficult. There's also a great deal of um, discussion about the fact that we track the causes uh, and, and maybe the reasons for veteran suicide or attempts, but we don't take a look at it in military families and dependents. And every year a bill is put up in front of a Congress that is really what they call dust in terms of money for the tracking and the measurement of those who are suffering within the military community on a scientific basis and it does not pass what is thought on why that isn't being measured and why it fails to pass muster as legislation well of course i can only hypothesize about that and what i get from the commanders that i speak to on a mm -hmm. regular basis um i think that it's a twofold thing i think that the first one is that America isn't ready to see what our families go through when it comes to war. I mean, whether it's suicide, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's PTSD, whether it's brain injuries, I just don't think that they want to put that information out because I think that information is devastating. And I think it's more than what we could ever imagine that it is. Secondly, I think that it would interfere with a lot of resources that they put out solely for the veteran. If we know that there's a problem with spouses, then we have to re we have to rethink the way that we're handling mental health care in all of the DOD departments. And I think that that is certainly going to be more costly than what they want to spend. Um, it's interesting that you say that this bill never passes because, like you said, it is just dust. The initial cost of this bill would be six hundred and fifty thousand, which is I really changed. And, yeah, and, and it doesn't pass. And, and that's why I, I, 
I didn't make up that term dust. That, that came from somebody at DOD who said, I, I just don't understand this. But I think you may have put your finger on it. Um, it, it is a negative statistic. It, it isn't positive. Um, it doesn't fit the narrative. But unfortunately, if you don't keep the family support going, you're also affecting the veteran and the active duty service member. Right. Mentioned that is because you, you just glanced off it, but let's go to it. There is a great deal of um, domestic violence. Uh, you've got people returning from five, six, seven deployments. Even those who don't deploy but have frequent uh, TDY are away from their families. The communication lags. There are many, many reasons for not feeling the connection within the family unit. And yet the culture says, we're just fine. Absolutely. And the domestic violence rates for the military are really high in compared to civilians. There are 33% of families report domestic violence, whether it's to a spouse or to a child. Um, and of course, Family Advocacy Program tracks this, but the way they do it is a little bit odd. Um, and so it, you don't get the full picture because they don't report in intimate partner violence. So they only report basic battery, which we know is not necessarily the highest percentage of violence in the military community. A lot of it is controlling finances, controlling friendships, already feeling isolated. Um, caregivers, of course, report tantrums and that type of violence. So we know that they're necessarily not being battered all the time, but that doesn't mean that they're not experiencing domestic violence. And those right. statistics are hidden from us as well. So we can only imagine why we, they wouldn't want suicide statistics to come out um, because we're already having such a giant battle with domestic violence that we don't know how to handle. But isn't it also, troubling? Sorry, Ty, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thinking, isn't it troubling that we, we, we are very aware of these issues? We're very aware of these, these problems that we're having, but yet we keep wanting to turn a blind eye. It's just, it's, it's, it's baffling to me. <laughs> like we we could just solve the issue, we can face it and address it. Then then maybe we might start seeing some type of resolve some somewhere some way Absolutely. Down the line. And the systems in place are already really there. For instance, mm -hmm. if you're talking about tracking suicide, all right. of this is these people are already in place. The people that would track this for spouses already are tracking it for veterans, whether it's through the CDC, whether it's through the VA, all of those organizations work within the Department of Defense to give all of this information, whether it's an active duty or a retired service member or just someone who EAS, though that they keep track of all that information. So the systems are already there. In the 2013 report that the DOD did put out on, on spouse suicide, it said that it would cost as little as 21 cents per record so 21 cents. And we know that they're already being tracked in some way, shape, or form because the Marine Corps put out in that report that their mental health division uses those for internal training. So they have them. They just haven't handed mm. them over. I'm so sorry to break in. We are going on another break, but I, we will return to this because we have not exhausted the thoughts and uh, about problem resolution with regard to this and how to make things better in terms of transparency, a word that people like to use but is rarely practiced. We are talking of Healing Household 6 and we'll be back after some short messages. Don't go away. We have far more to share with you. 
We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many of us look forward to the holidays all year long. It is such a magnificent opportunity to get together with family and friends and decorate and give gifts and eat the most delicious food. But numerous people dread the holidays. As far as their weight, health, and exercise are concerned, they know they'll have so much temptation and chances to derail their healthy lifestyle. Many just resolve themselves into thinking that gaining weight over the holidays is a fact and there is no way to avoid it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to embrace the holidays. Have a plan before you go to any dinner, party, or event and decide what you're going to eat and stick with it. Yes, there will be temptation, but you can overcome it. Stay with the plan and reap the benefits. You can contact us at fitnessminute at annettehammond.com. Welcome to Toginet, cutting edge radio. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Lisa Colella about the challenges of military spouses and partners. And prior to the break, we were talking about tracking of veteran suicides, uh, suicide attempts, um, and the possibility that the services individually may have information on family members, but what does the DOD do in your estimation for active duty and that you're aware of that takes a look at military spouses? I know some of the private organizations and nonprofits take a look at them with annual surveys, but what are our agencies doing? The ones that have the greatest resources. Absolutely. So the Department of Defense does a few different things. And the first thing that they do is they do record the percentage of those that have those spouses that have come forward to talk about suicidal ideation. So they do record those within the different branches. And those seem to vary between 13 and 20 percent, which is an incredibly high number for military spouses. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they all kind of track this a little bit differently. So even though they don't necessarily track spouse suicide, somewhere in their records, there, there are ways that they can find this. So the first way is that to receive the service members group life insurance for spouses, that has to be that you have to give a cause of death. And so it is somewhere in their records, whether they're not able to pull that out in a timely fashion, I can't say. I would imagine that it would be very easy to get that information. Um, usually the, that the spouse has been deceased would happen through deers. So it, it exists out there. It's just not being pulled into the organized manner that we need. As I said before the break, the Marine Corps actually, their mental health department does keep track of these for internal training purposes. So we know that the organizations have them. We're just not sure why the DOD isn't willing to spend that 21 cents per record that have it transferred 
to the suicide retrieval tool. We're just not sure. Well, let's go back to what you said. Maybe they're reluctant to pass that information on because America's not ready. The okay. the the public narrative, you know, is not ready or is troubling, and you know that's that's the the difficult part. But if you're looking at what people are doing uh, internally, and private groups are doing it with the surveys and things. The fact that the number is rising or that people are more willing to say, yes, I have depression. Yes, I have thought about suicide. Are we making some progress? Because it appears to me dealing in the caregiver community and in the military spouse community, we are making some progress. But I'm not certain that we are seeing a lot of opportunity for help. What do you think? I agree. I think that we are making progress as far as self-identifying, mm-hmm. self-identifying that we have depression, self-identifying that we are a caregiver, and self-identifying all of those things that come along with that. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's that term that's flashing in the side of our mind, resiliency, resiliency. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult to admit that you're going through a crisis when your entire spouse's career, you've been told that you are so resilient. And so if we put out these narratives that spouses aren't resilient, then what are we saying that we have said for the past 20 years? We have said that they are resilient, and now we are saying that they are not. And it's, it's really or difficult. maybe they're overwhelmed. Absolutely. Do they say that? Yeah, everyone that I speak to is overwhelmed, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. They're overwhelmed with the rise in exceptional family member families that they have. They're overwhelmed with that. They're overwhelmed with affordable childcare. They're overwhelmed trying to find work because the Mm -hmm. cost to live has risen. They're overwhelmed with friendships. They're overwhelmed with command responsibilities that shouldn't really be that responsibility of the spouse. There's so many struggles. Oh my goodness. There's There's so many struggles for these people. What do you really think is the largest hurdle that you feel the military community faces regarding this issue? I think that it is getting the information to that spouse and how they can help. And some of these spouses are isolated on smaller bases. They may not have a military hospital. So getting people in the community that accept TRICARE, all of those seem to be the really big hurdles. When I ask women why have you decided not to step forward? Why have you decided not to get help? That seems to be their biggest concern is where do I go for this help? I'm not in an area that provides it or I don't really know who to ask. And I feel as if that information gap is really, really the, the barrier between these spouses getting what they need. Well, that's one reason we're talking to you about this issue today because we're trying to help with the education. I think awareness is very high about veteran suicide, depression, and all of that. But I don't believe that the awareness nor the education is high about the military families and dependents. Unfortunately, we are seeing a large rise in very young, teen, and young adult dependent suicide attempts, uh, alcoholism, drug dependency, uh, depression, anxiety, Uh, All of those things, the same things you're talking about for military spouses are also happening in the dependent community. Can you address any of that? Absolutely. And I'll even take that one a step further. 
the dependent community, the children in general, they're facing problems they've never had to face before, just in society. They're facing social media bullies. They're facing things that weren't really just going on in the depths that they're going on now. They're also the first generation to face multiple deployments. Um, some of their parents have deployed 10 or more times in their lives. That is putting a burden on their caregiver, which is then putting a burden on them. They have more responsibilities in the home. Um, when the family is back together and there is um, different kinds of stresses with reintegration, that also makes children feel as if they, it's their fault. They're carrying this huge burden. And if God forbid that their parent comes home injured, that's a whole nother burden for these children. Oh, Some gosh, of them are yes. taking care of them. <laughs> it's a whole nother burden. It really is. And, and you know, you, you talked about, you know, intimate partner violence. And I think it's good to mention, too, you know, you also mentioned, you know, the violence that sometimes it happens against the children. And, you know, they're, they are dealing with a lot. So how do we how do we address it? You know, how do we continue to point them in the direction of, of hey, there's hope, there's help, you know, there's healing. Um, if in this area, if you go here, so to speak, how do we how do we begin to address and share that? Any pointers? I, think, I, do, I do. I think the first thing is that parents really have to understand that just because the husband or wife is volatile in front of the child, but doesn't hurt the child, they need to understand that that's still hurting the child. So that's one community issue that I see that's not necessarily military, is that mm -hmm. we have to understand that the reactions we have to our children are sometimes just as volatile as actually injuring them. And secondly, we need to speak to our doctors. We need to be, not be afraid to talk to our pediatricians, to talk to our PCMs, and to talk to people that we do meet along the way about what our kids are going through. Most of the DOD programs all have great programs, whether it's FOCUS, whether it's NAMI affiliation. All of these programs are really great with monitoring children, teaching children coping mechanisms, all of those things that really help children to develop better. Children can get through deployments, but they really need tools so that they understand how their feeling is normal. You know, I, I have to insert here the, a, a phrase that I'm hearing more and more. Uh, which is more is caught than taught. So while we can teach the children certain things, it also means by educating the parents as to the consequences of, as you said, the behavior itself. If the parents can model better behavior, that goes a very long way in the catching. You know, more is caught than taught. But if you both are done, then you are addressing the issue from a 360-degree point of view, and that would be ideal. Is that happening? I think that it's happening on some levels, and I think that it tends to be in the caregiver community more mm -hmm. than the military spouse community. Because as caregivers, we hear that term, you have to put your mask on. You mm -hmm. cannot save others without saving yourself, and a lot of us take that very seriously because we've learned the hard way. Right. Um, right. <laughs> unfortunately. So we now know that if we aren't good, no one in our family is. We know that we're that building block. I don't think the military spouse knows yet that they're that building block because they're still suffering with that isolation and that loneliness. They don't value themselves the way that 
caregivers know to value themselves. So I think that is going to be more difficult in the active duty community. You know, you mentioned um, your organization works with a lot of IPV and domestic violence. And we've done shows on intimate partner violence. And it talks about how in the caregiver community or in a community where one partner is really depressed or not fully themselves, there's a military culture of independence. But when you have some dependence going on, some people do not know how to cope with that. So a lot of what you're talking about is educating, if possible, both parties, both the veteran active duty service member and the spouse or partner to understand that these things are coming. Is any of this taught now in any train-ups to deployments or any family programs, even annually, so that it is acknowledged? Because when something is acknowledged and you're made aware of it, you can do something about it. If it is hidden from view and not transparent, then people are much more reluctant to come forward. Absolutely. The Department of Defense does train all of the branches in domestic violence. Um, They also train in PTSD symptoms and all of those things. But that information doesn't necessarily trickle down to the spouse. And those are the people that need to be aware of the signs because they're the ones that are going to call those signs out. The service member can be aware of them all day long, but he or she is not going to realize that they are distributing that behavior or that they have those symptoms. Because when you have something wrong, you don't necessarily know that. Or you deny it. Or you deny it or you cover it up. Yeah, and and we've seen so many um, veterans who will say later on, yeah, if my wife hadn't given me that ultimatum that, you know, I needed to get help, I wouldn't have gone. And some of the highest level uh, service members have meant that. So I, I think there is that awareness growing, but it is also something that is very personal. And I have also heard that it varies per service branch. And it varies per command. So there are a lot of factors that keep people from both raising their awareness and also seeking the education. And so when we come back from our last break, I would love to hear more about what you see as the resources to help with that military culture and seeking help while also being resilient and strong and helping the community to large to help our military families and spouses, again, with raising awareness and education, because it's important. Knowing the science to help is is very, very important. I think people are willing to help take some time. So we're going on our last break of this show. Stay with us. Lisa will be sharing some more information that you'll want to hear. We'll be right back. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. 
Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. seen the video of the little seal that jumped into the back of a boat to escape being eaten by killer whales? A family was whale watching near Vancouver Island, British Columbia when they noticed a pod of orcas swimming around their boat. All of a sudden, a harbor seal swam up to the stern of their boat and jumped in with the orcas hot on his tail. When a whale leaps out of the water exposing most of its body, it's called breaching. There are 32 different species of seals distributed throughout the world and are found from polar to tropical waters. The largest concentrations of seals in the U.S. are in California and New England. Everyone who has seen the video agrees this was one lucky seal. What's another word for the fear of the sea? Thalassophobia. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Lisa Colella. And we were talking before the break about raising awareness of the needs of families, but also the need for educating families on how they can recognize signs for problem resolution. I think we're looking at some incredible military families who have resolved a lot of issues on their own. But let's assume in certain cases they're overwhelmed and they need some more help. What are some of the signs and tips that you would give about seeking resources, about to know when you're overwhelmed and when you might need to reach for help? Sure. I think the first part of knowing when you're overwhelmed is that feeling of sudden sadness or that you've lost hope. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the one that I hear the most is I didn't shower today. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting up to take care of your daily habits and hygiene routines, that's a very good indicator that there is something wrong, that you really need to seek help of someone else. Um, If you're handling situations with more anger than you would, say your child knocks a glass of milk off the table and that just sucks you over the rails, those are indications that things are piling up to a point that you really need someone to intervene. Um, When you get to those points, there are several things you can do, and those are going to be different based on what phase of the military spouse life you are in. Mm -hmm. It's you are active duty, you can certainly reach out to the military family crisis centers. Um, All of the installations have them. They have different names depending on where you are. You certainly can speak to a chaplain who cannot share your information with commanding officers. And then, of course, you can call places like Military One Source or Give an Hour to get confidential um, therapy recommendations. So those are all good tools if you're still active duty. If you're in the caregiver community, that's a little bit trickier, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't all have a caregiver coordinator. Some of us do, some of us don't. They aren't all created equal, but that certainly is um, one person you could ask if if yours is better than most. Um, You certainly can also call the the National Suicide Crisis Line or you can call the VA Crisis Line if you're comfortable. We know that that's not something that everyone is comfortable with. 
Um, and then, of course, you can always reach out to community members. NAMI has a great home front program for military family members to explain suicide, abuse, all the common things that come in a high percentage with war. And then, of course, Given Hour is a wonderful organization that offers free mental health care to those that can't afford it. So there are different places depending on who you are. And a lot of these are all available in online platforms as far as you know, the Red Cross offers different platforms for peer support. We have a lot of peer support networks. So all of those things are available. I think that it's just recognizing that you need it. Yeah, I want to mention one other one that I have found to be very helpful for military spouses, uh, and that's Vets4, the number four, warriors.com. And it's a, a peer-based supportive system, uh, confidential, unless there is a suicidal attempt and they have a right, a duty to warn. But Vets for Warriors will have male spouses talking to male spouses and vets talking to vets and active duty talking to active duty. And that is a very big connection. There's a lot more inbuilt trust that way. Absolutely. And they're a phenomenal organization. They have helped so many of our clients as well. And they also help me when I'm not available to take other calls. So they're, they're fantastic. And what I really like about that organization is they do try to place you with someone who has a similar walk of life, which mm-hmm. I think makes it easier for you to self-identify. I think it's important to add, too, that there are some caregivers out there who don't really realize that that is what they are. Maybe, um, as in my case, you know, I know I'm a caregiver, even though VA says, well, you don't qualify to be a caregiver. <laughs> I know that I fit the bill um, as, a, as a, a wife, as a spouse of a, a wounded warrior. I know I fit that bill. So there are um, you know, resources still available for that. I had mentioned during the break, you know, um, Blue Star Families was a way that introduced me to Lyndon, introduced me to the caregiving aspect, and, and it really provided that connection and that support that I needed. So I'm glad you're mentioning, we're mentioning all these resources that are available for everyone. Absolutely. And the caregiver community takes it one step further. There is an organization called Operation Family Caregiver where they actually teach you how to cope and how to make decisions and what those decisions look like and how they will affect your family. And I think that that's a really good tool because caregivers are making decisions that most civilians aren't making regarding health care and benefits and all these different burdens. And they don't have anyone to teach them how to manage that. And a lot of them have been you know, stay-at-home wives throughout their military, their husband's military careers or stay-at-home husbands. And you don't have to be a part of the VA caregiver program for them to recognize you as a caregiver, just like you said, is that it's whoever identifies as a caregiver can receive this coaching. And I think that's what we need to see from more organizations, that we allow the caregiver to identify. You know, I I think that there's an awful lot of um, unique challenges within the military, but frankly, across the whole continuum of the United States, we are dealing with a lot of people under stress. The mm-hmm. numbers of people with mental illness, depression, anxiety, uh, other diagnosable conditions is rising across the board in the United States. So it means also that the resources within the community are stressed too. 
and so too are those who deal with the specialty cohort of the military, which is why so many private organizations are stepping in to help fill some of the gaps. But as we go about raising the awareness as we are today, what are some of those tips beyond the sudden sadness, the no shower? What are some of the words that you may hear that would indicate to you that a friend, uh, yourself, uh, a family member may really need some assistance? Or if you see risky behaviors going on, law enforcement is more and more getting trained in how to deal with special needs children, how to deal with veterans, how to communicate well and engage without escalating a situation. Where can we find out more about educating families, about knowing the signs to get help? Absolutely. So a lot of law enforcement, they are trained privately. And so those those institutions, I mean, they're plentiful, SCIs and things like that. But they are getting better. And they and the one thing that they always ask and that they always tell us to, to share is when you have to call, make sure that you tell someone that your significant other has a brain injury, especially, or mm-hmm. PTSD, so that they can be aware of how to handle the situation because those two injuries are not synonymous and they cannot assist if they don't know what the injury is. It doesn't help them if you say, my, my spouse is a veteran because mm-hmm. they just don't know what that means or what that looks like. Um, other organizations in the community that I've already mentioned, like NAMI, um, mm-hmm. Psych Armor, all have great trainings to help organizations, businesses, and families recognize the signs of trauma and how to deal with them based on the specifics of what your family goes through. So, so those are some good resources. Those are good resources. What What would you recommend for command to... Um, to do, to mention, what what are some things that you recommend for the spouses or even for the soldiers to go to and to command? How how can command help sure. more? So one thing that I would love to see that the command do, and and some do this, so I don't want to make a blanket statement, right. but I would love to see them just take spouses seriously, and realize yeah. that when they're coming in the door, it's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to come in. We really don't. We really do not want to face the XO or the sergeant major. It's the last thing on our mind. If we are coming in there and we're not asking for like, you know, maybe money or something silly, if we're asking for help, I I feel like they need to take that seriously because we're not, it's really impossible. If we're coming to you, we've hit our last resort. As far as the service member goes, I'd really like the command to make some of these trainings mandatory once they return. And now I know that there's that debriefing period, but I can only speak from the debriefings that I have seen and heard. They don't necessarily speak about what might happen two weeks later, three months later, a year later, when we're seeing some of these injuries really be full force. Mm -hmm. So I'd really love commands to address that with the service member. Um, and, and realize that when they have service members that are making poor judgments with their families, it really is the family unit that is keeping that, that service member in a good place. So we really need to focus on the entire family. Well, you're talking, yeah. And, and Tassamba can tell you, she participated in, um, 
a, a program that worked on communication and intimacy after injury and after combat. And there's a lot of programs now that do address the fact that communication is now different when someone is back. But before we get to our last question, let's figure out where people can go to find out more about your organization. What is that URL? Wonderful. It's www.healinghouseholdsick.org. Okay, so healinghouseholdsick.org. And you mostly help with? We mostly assist with domestic violence, um, relocation, getting involved with command procedures, and then we also assist caregivers uh, that are widows due to suicide. Wow, you took on the tough stuff. We yes. took on, yeah, we did. We did. We're out there getting it done. But I think that there's so many organizations out there. I mean, a quick Google can find you help for pretty much whatever you need. So we had to pick up something. We, we don't need another study to tell us that caregivers and military spouses are being abused. And we don't certainly need another study to tell us that widows are being left mm -hmm. out of a lot of these programs. So we just, we just have to pick it up and run with it because these are our friends at the end of the day, all of right. us that are listening. This is our community. And if we don't do something for it, who's going to? And that's why it's so effective when groups of people who know, have walked it, talked it, live it, help others. And, and I will say this, I find that those who have lived it and help others are often helping themselves as well, because there's something about that service mentality that continues even in the darkest of times. And I, I give a shout out to all military spouses and partners and caregivers, because what you do is highly valued, even though some days you do not feel or feel that it's recognized, but we do right here. And we're going to make sure we continue to tell the story who maybe are not being heard. healinghouseholdsix.org and we hope that all of you will reach out when you need some help and let's reduce this stigma and let's raise our hands when we need some help. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your